In every age, God raises people up to speak the truth to the world in a way that is currently relevant. Though our opinions should not be held with the same esteem as the biblical canon, we still carry the hope of Christ to the world. Our society has forgotten what it means to follow Christ. The bright lights of truth seekers are barely visible in the dim twilight of a post-Judeo-Christian society. We all see the darkness coming. All we can hope is to share the light that he has entrusted to us. This is Modern Apocrypha. Hey, I'm Jared. And I'm Greg. And this is Modern Apocrypha. Welcome. Welcome. So, we know what we want to what talk we about. For today? <laughs> yeah. So, I, I really want to talk about incentives and how most people don't realize how big a part of our lives incentives are and, and what that actually means when you get to something like a political level. It's pretty crazy. So, and I think we may need to take a second here. Yeah. You and I have uh, paused for some amount of time, but people coming back to this are at least a day behind. Sure. Um, we're looking at incentives and the beast system we live in, why politics is irrelevant. Okay. So starting off with our incentives. Yeah. And, and in order for, in order for people to understand why I would say, and it's my opinion that politics is pretty much irrelevant right now. And in order to understand why that is, you have to understand what incentives are. So, just to start with, let's define incentives. Incentives are just something that propels you to do something, something that tries to get you to do something. So, for example, for my kids, if I want them to complete their chores, you know, regularly and effectively, I offer them, okay, so you'll get paid if you do this, just, you know, it also gives them an opportunity to earn some money, which is a good thing. But I will pay you if you do your chores. If you do a good job, you get this much. If you do a half-assed job, wanna, whatever. So that's I an incentive. I want to pull it back even more basic than that. Okay. If you've got those same kiddos and you're going to be yelling at them and chasing them with a switch until it's done, it's still an incentive yeah. to get you to stop being terrible. Incentives come in two varieties, the carrot and the stick. Fair enough. And um, the incentive doesn't necessarily need to be money. It might very well be a smile and a pat on the head. Yeah. You know, whatever. No, it's just positive. a positive motivator to do something or a negative motivator to do something. That's an incentive. Something akin to a prize. Something akin to a prize or a consequence. And... Modern society is about 95% shaped by them. The actions of people en masse are pretty much defined and created by incentives. And when you say that, just like ethnicities and whatnot, I'm going to use the, the Jew word mm -hmm. as an ethnicity, a religion, um, and a country. Um, as opposed to with incentives, you have an individual incentive that you might describe as a carrot or a stick, but the discussion of incentives is systematic. It's, it's looking at... The discussion of incentives and how they affect society would be systematic. Yeah. Right. So you've got a cause effect, a cause and an effect, and you're setting up your game mm -hmm. in such a way that when X happens, Y is uh, produced. Yeah. And those right. systems that do the conversion of action or thought mm -hmm. into uh, prizes yeah. or punishments. Sure. So the systems and how we look at the inputs and provide outputs. That's the discussion. 
something like that. Something like that. Individual. But I think I think the first well, I think the first thing to do is to make the case, and this this took me it it was a realization. It was it was almost an epiphany, okay? It was that strong. But understanding to what degree incentives affect you and me and everybody else in society and how is kind of amazing. Okay, so let me let me see if I can just put a few examples out there to try to make the case for people who are listening to this because it's it's critically important that people actually start to get this. And and if you are listening to this, try to think yourself through this. Try to try to think about how I'm right or how I'm wrong. Try to examine it yourself and to see how in your life things change the way you act and work and live and whatever. Okay, so for example, in our grandparents' time, Greg, saving money was practically next to godliness. You had godliness, cleanliness, and saving money, right? It was like saving saving your pennies was like the thing in the Great Depression. And that was a super, super ingrained social characteristic, societal trait to do that. It, it was It was sort of, I don't even know how to put it. It was like a, it was a tired trope because that's how real it was. And today, that's not the case at all. We don't have, we have almost none of that. Okay. And so... Why is that? Okay, as near as I can tell, it's a direct result of the fiat monetary system. And here's what I mean. First, just a little bit of history for people. Back in the 1970s, we went off the gold standard. If you go to the website, WTFHappenedIn1971.com, kind of a long name, but it's there, there's a collection of about 50 or 100 graphs that show a whole bunch of weird things that have happened since then. What's up? I was just going to have you go back through that uh, location a little bit slower for anybody. Okay. It was WTF happened. WTF happened in 1971. And the only thing that isn't spelled out in words is one nine seven one WTF happened in one nine seven one.com. Okay. Okay. And it's, it's a huge collection of graphs of weird things that have happened since 1971. And one of the critical things that happened then was we went off the gold standard. Okay, and so just so, just so you understand, let me just draw some parallels here, or some uh, conclusions here. When you have hard money, when you have money that does not reduce in value over time, and human effort gets builds better and better technology, then the money is actually worth more and more over time. So if you if your society's base unit of account and unit of value and savings is gold, which is what we had for about 100 years before the early 1900s, then your money is actually worth more 10 years later than it is when you make it. So it's actually advantageous and it was advantageous for people to just hold on to their money when they would make it. And it would be worth more 10, 20, 30 years later. You could buy more with it. Yeah. I've I've heard arguments that uh, Bitcoins will reach a, uh, a balance with other currencies to where that you'll just end up that it doesn't make sense to actually use your Bitcoin on anything. I think that's crap. I think that's actually just people misunderstanding how the dynamics work there. But Bitcoin is a whole other podcast, and I'd actually like to get to it sometime very soon because I think it's okay. pretty critical. But but Bitcoin is an example of hard money where there are only so many of them in circulation. And if you buy a Bitcoin and more people get interested in Bitcoin that adds to the network and the network effect gets bigger and your Bitcoin is actually worth more than it was before. So this is actually all money is a confidence game. Okay. And gold, no less than anything else. It's a question of how much confidence people have in the money 
determines the value of the money. How many people are confident that it's good money determines the value of the money. That is, by definition, a confidence game, and that's what money is. The U.S. dollar has people's confidence, so that's why it has value. If everybody lost confidence in the dollar, it wouldn't have value anymore because nobody would want to use it anymore. It's a confidence game. So, anyway... I disagree with that statement, but I understand what you're saying. I, I disagree with that statement because our current monetary system is backed by a bullet. Nobody, even if you didn't want to no. use it, they just come kill you. No. Really? Our current tax system is backed by a bullet, but the the monetary system is backed by confidence because I know a lot of people who are saving in precious metals or land or whatever, and I don't know a lot of smart people who are actually trying to save value in dollars. The dollars are the current exchange mechanism, but they're not the savings vehicle anymore, and as the U.S. dollar loses confidence, they won't be able to go shoot you if you stop saving in U.S. dollars and you start saving in pineapples. You just own pineapples, what you own. It's no. your choice. The, well, the point is... When, when something stops holding people's confidence, they find something else to use. And coercion only goes so deep. You can't use coercion for everything. So when people stop having confidence in something, they stop having confidence in something, and they use something else to hold their savings. And eventually they use something else to do exchange with. And you can, you can affect that with coercion to a point, but even in modern society, you can't go against 90% of people who have decided that this just isn't worth anything anymore. Anyway, right. can I get back to the original point? Indeed. Okay, so, so the point is that gold incentivized you to save. And that when our grandparents were young, saving was actually... Would it was you say actually gold, or would you say all non-ethereal physical currencies? Would, would well, it depends shows? because it's easy if you if you decide you want to save in paper clips, it's really easy to make a billion paper clips and to devalue your paper clips. A hard money, a money that's hard to create more of, incentivizes saving. So gold incentivized saving. Today we it's not have a money. a fact of being a physical currency. No, to. Well, no, it's a, it's a fact of being a currency that it's hard to make more of. Uh, you know, if you're saving in sand dollars, it incentivizes you to go find more sand dollars. If you're saving in, well, paper clips or pencils, then it incentivizes you to make more pencils, to manufacture more of it. So I think it might depend on who you are. It might incentivize some people to stand on the beach and charge a toll for going into the water. Sure, absolutely, and that's the coercion thing. But the, the point is still that... When you have a hard currency, it incentivizes people to save. When you have a soft currency, it incentivizes people to spend and to not save. How many people do you know who live in debt compared to people who have excess savings today? It's actually hard. It is countercultural and counter incentives to save money over spending money. More people in the U.S. have debt than have savings. I would be surprised. I don't know that it's even positive on the books for most companies these days to show inactive savings. You're absolutely right. It is not positive. Where if you were saving in gold or Bitcoin and that were the unit that you were using and that most people were using, it would be a positive thing to save because your money is becoming worth more over time because they're not making it as fast as more value is being added to the world. And I don't want to get too far off the topic of uh, incentives as the, the basis or the, you know, the where we're pointing at. Mm -hmm. If you've got an amount of working debt or uh, if you're trying to put assets on your books through stock as opposed to dollars, those all feel like incentives set up in order to show you a good picture as opposed to incentives showed up incentives that have been chosen 
to show you the health of the company or whatever it may be. Well, and that's that's absolutely right. And your incentive as the buyer is to choose a good product. Okay, and, and actually, this kind of leads into where I was going anyway, which is just that if you look at our lives and how our lives are structured, how the system we live in, the world we live in is structured, the way incentives determine our actions is pretty amazing. And so f the savings example is a really good one for a lot of people who would be watching this because I'm assuming it would be a lot of conservative people watching this or Christian people watching this. I don't actually know. But the point is that incentives determine how you do things. Even when you have an ideal, even when you're even when your ideal is to do right, if you have incentives to do wrong... Oh, we may need to pause and back up a little bit there. You broke up and I didn't come through. Oh, well, I mean, it'll record fine on my end. I saw you glitch oh, okay. a little, but it, it'll be fine on my end. Anyway, so when you have incentives that are designed to make you do something evil, it is really, really hard to do good, even if you believe the incentives are wrong. So let's take marriage as an example. How many Christian marriages end in the modern day, not because people believe that marriage is bad, but because there are incentives built into our system now to destroy marriage? We can take, we can take anything you want to name, and the system determines how we live almost more than our values do nowadays. And it's by incentives. It's by making it profitable to do things that are generally bad things. So let me take one other concrete example, if I could, here. Coming out of slavery, one of the most cohesive units in modern society was the black family. Single motherhood rate among black women was in the single digits or teens coming out of slavery. Into the, into the early 1900s, okay? I, don't, I know during slavery, people were separated, and that was terrible, and the, I mean, I'm not talking about any of that. That was horrible. But the point is, that actually taught black people to value that family unit. And because of that, the black family was one of the strongest institutions in our society going into the mid-1900s. Today... Single motherhood rate among black women is in the 70% range, somewhere around there last I checked. And do you know what changed that? It can't be one thing. It was primarily one thing. And the, the primary thing that did it was there were a set of programs, government programs that were aimed at helping poor black people coming out of the civil rights era by, by giving single mothers, in, um, especially in black households, that's what it was targeted at. These were targeted programs, okay? During LBJ's Great Society, programs were targeted at poor black families, especially poor black women with, you know, who were single mothers, to give them money out of the government coffers for to help them okay but it turns out it was it was more rewarding to kick out your boyfriend to kick out your husband than it was to keep him in the house welfare created the crisis in poor homes especially poor black families And, and when you look at the statistics and when you look at the stories and, and when you actually get away from the rhetoric that we have in modern society where this whole racism thing and you look at what actually happened, as America's racism decreased, the family fell apart. Why? Well, that was the one factor that you can actually graph that goes along with this. We reduced racism? No. The, the black family falling apart, the one factor we can actually graph is uh, welfare. 
I see. I see. And and it it's essentially a one to one. It's it's a totally traceable parallel where we saw a disintegration of the family when we paid for people to not stay together. Shocking, but it's an incentive and it drove our society into a place that is totally abysmal. It's terrible. Well, and I would say this about that. Yeah. If you answer to a higher power and a balancing program comes through, there's no reason at all that you couldn't interact in the world and maintain your morals and your beliefs. And we see it now with people that uh, take advantage of their uh, government programs and they live a nuclear family life, but nothing on paper because the incentives don't let them put it on paper, but they're still going to live a good life. Yeah. But, but you're talking about incentives as if it's, as if it's a sort of an isolated phenomenon. So let's talk about how that, how this works in that situation you're talking about. If it is an incentive to stay together in a nuclear family situation, to be married, to, to have that, that piece of paper, to have that union, all that is, is an incentive to stay together. That's all it is. It's not a, it's not a law. It's not a, it's not a hard and fast thing. There's no, we have no fault divorce, Greg. You can, you can choose to live that way if you want, but that'd be the exception rather than the rule. So historically, the way things have worked is we put up fences around things that are bad. We put incentives in place to keep people away from things that we don't want them to do. And we put incentives in place to get people to do things that we do want them to do. That's how the world works. And that's how we've learned to survive in societies. If you look at societies that have healthy families, the incentives are for people to stay together as a family. If you look at societies that don't have healthy families, the incentives go the other way. It's, it's because those are the things we've set up. To your point, it is possible. Say, okay, but, but let me take this back and actually use an example from my own life here. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Do you mind if I do that or do you want to go ahead? I'm just going to add some side points. Go yeah, go. No, go ahead. Add your side points. Then I'll go to my example. Just that you got to look at, um, we're looking at getting actions to an outcome. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the enemy is looking for a different action out of you. How to say that? If he can get you to be immoral by not following immoral laws. Oh, the forbidden fruit effect? Sort of. Making it normalizing, not following uh, the law, but the law's wrong. Okay, so, so normalizing lawlessness to incentivize an, an even more evil situation, an even more evil set of circumstances? Yeah, no, you're, that, that's there, yeah. Let me go, let me real quick, though, go back to a personal example. When I was first married, I, I had technically dropped out of college. Um, reasons for that, actually writing was the reason for that, but I had dropped out of college and I needed a job to support my new family. And it was the fall of 2007, 8, 2000, or 2007, 2008. It was the financial crisis. And my degree was in graphic okay. design and journalism. And I couldn't find a job, man. And so we ended up after just struggling and struggling for a couple of years, we ended up on food stamps for a period of time. And I can't even tell you how that affected me. I would almost, you would almost have to experience it. I had a hard time making myself make more money because the incentive there was for me not to. It was, I was incentivized to fail because as I made more money, that benefit was taken away. The I've experienced that myself over the course of <clears throat> seven or eight years, not bringing more 
benefit to my household because I was just steadily just removed. You know, you can't have this now. You can't have that now. And it's not just just a, a government program. It's your family saying, oh, you're fine now. Sure, sure. Um, it's, it's the office not giving you a raise because you're fine now. Yeah. Well, and, and what I would say is everybody, if you look to your life, you can find places where you have been incentivized in bad directions. And in hindsight, you will see it and understand it. And it's the emotional impact on people is just tremendous. It's huge. So that is the point that I wanted to make through this is how those incentives work. And for us to understand that all of the incentives playing together in society are a lot of why we live our lives. So let me, let me just spell out my own life a little bit. I grew up Christian. Socially, I have been incentivized to stay together with my wife because I would face a tremendous amount of social backlash from people I care about if I were divorced from her. We had times that were hard times in our lives. I love her dearly, and we have a better relationship today than ever before, but there were times we went through really hard times, and I was incentivized to stay with her, and I'm in a better place because of that. If you look at all of the things that have gone on in my life, the incentives determine how we live to a great degree. How many people are not having kids in our society? It's because financially we're incentivizing people not to do that because it's, it's, yeah, I mean, just, just go ahead. Just like uh, a demon being called out has no power. If you consciously put this in front of yourself, you won't fall for it anymore. Right. Well, and, and to your point, I got off of uh, food stamps because I, started to see it for what it was, and I made the hard decisions, right? I chose to do the things. I chose to get rid of it, and I am well, and freer really and better off because of it. it's really hard to see it at but, the time. Yeah. But you're in that group, and the powers and principalities will use that. They'll say, I've got X number of millions of people in this program, and that means drop nukes on Russia. Oh, their, you are so right. Effect, you are so right. Their right. cause and effect is so far just. Uh, just separated from reality that you can't give in and say yes to anything or they're saying you're saying yes to everything right well and and you know let's let's look at the whole covid uh the the whole shots thing how many companies made it so that you'd lose your job if you didn't get this jab that was gonna too much going on with covid man I think we should we should All put right, a pin on enough. COVID for a little while. Yeah, you're right. I, I noticed as I was watching, there was the, the gentleman from Florida that's running for president had said that there were boats under Calif outside of California that he would love to take over. He'd, he'd bring the product in and nobody moved and he shut up about it. Something's going on with those boats. Something going is going on with an attack, like like something happened that we don't know about yet. Okay. So fair enough. Fair enough. Point is the point is just how much incentives af affect us, how much they change the way we live. And then we need to talk about how incentives affect us when we get into tighter and tighter constraints. Right? So, you know, if you're working for yourself, if you have your own business, nobody can tell you, what you're going to do in order to keep your business except for your customers. But if That's... the government shuts you down, right? But, but the point is that you don't have an employer who can tell you if you don't do this, you're going to get fired. It comes real, real quick back to the, uh, you didn't build it stupid statement. The idea that uh, there's not a place that unless you set up a boat right in the water, and you you move around. You're not. You're never going to be uh, a solitary standing nation in your right. in your business. Right. Well, and even then, even then, ideal. We're not built to be an island. One person. C.S. Lewis's version of hell has people in an infinite world where they can just move further and further apart. Okay, that's his idea of hell. It's because the idea is we're we're built to be social creatures. You don't want to live in a vacuum. That's that's a bad thing.
That's fair. Hmm. You know, we're coming up on a break here. I think this is a great place to to sort of let the incentives thing sit for a second, and then we can come back to what I mean about politics and why I don't think it matters. And it's about to stop. All right. So I guess we'll see you in a minute. See you in a minute. Modern Apocrypha is brought to you by Energemetra 6 and the new book Bright Star by Jared Misho, that's me, coming out in April 2024. Uh, if you're interested, head over to e6universe.com to join our book launch team for a free copy or to buy a copy with the promo code Israel for 10% off. Modern Apocrypha is also brought to you by North Arrow Coffee. Now, I don't drink coffee, but North Arrow Coffee is the coffee company that's so good that even those of us who don't drink coffee love it. It's a pro-life coffee company. 15% of every purchase goes toward a pro-life cause. You can see right on their website what those causes are and uh, where they're spending that money. If you use the promo code E6, you get 10% off on your order. And thank you. Now back to our show. And we're back. Welcome back, everyone. So, I guess now comes the politics part, right? Yeah, we're incentives and the beast system we live in and why politics is irrelevant. We're looking at uh, why politics is irrelevant. Okay, so the idea behind our political system was originally to create a an assembly of people to represent the voters to represent the responsible people in the nation, which has since been included to, or uh, expanded to include all people in the nation. But at at the time they did it, it, there was actually a requirement for property or something with most uh, voting requirements. It wasn't just everybody who could vote, not even just all men who could vote. It was just, it was a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of spread out uh, nodes. You'd have Mm -hmm. your, uh, your house, which belonged to your community, the community landowner would then go to uh, a state council, and then the state councils would form the overall country councils. Right. Well, and and the state governments actually voted for the senators at the time. The Senate was originally elected by the the state representatives, not responsible the people. parties. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's the idea. That was the whole idea behind the government. Where today what we have is something totally different. We have a system where the people who are in a position to make decisions are hemmed in by so many incentives that they can't effectively operate. So let me just give you one example here. Donald Trump, when he was put into office, he made a set of promises to the people that elected him. How many of those did he keep? I don't know what the premises were or what was kept. Zero. He kept zero promises and it wasn't his fault. He tried. Okay. And, and here's, here's where I'm pulling this from right now, in order to get into Congress, you have to attract money. You have to attract voters you have to, even just to get into the club of people who's allowed to make those decisions, you have to gather power to yourself, right? And that okay. power comes with incentives. The people who have the power want you to protect their power when they put you in that position. And a lot of times the way we look at that is, oh, it's the, it's the special interest groups. Oh, it's the, the lobbyists. But the reality is, in order to be put in a position to make decisions, you have to attract power to yourself 
that allows you to be put into that position. And, and that can take whatever shape you want, it doesn't matter, but the people who are in power are then incentivized to do what the people who put them there want. That was sort of, that was sort of uh, taken into account by the people who formed the government originally, who decided how it should work. But what, what wasn't taken into account was this sort of fascistic conglomeration of in, national and international corporations with the government that we have today. And what I mean by that is there are only seven companies that make basically all the food in the world that isn't locally grown in your freaking city or by a rancher near you. There are basically seven companies that control all the food that Americans eat. Okay, And, and you can find pictures of this online if you look it up. Just Google it. The seven... I think it's seven. It might be 12, but the point is there's just a small number of companies. And people should understand <clears throat> when you say that, uh, mm -hmm. these uh, large conglomerate companies, it's not like there's 2,000 people that are in control of this thing. It's one guy the head of his household that's ahead of his family. That's right. And, and so when you're talking about a company like that protecting its interests, he has billions of dollars that he can deploy to try to make it so that the lawmakers that are elected in your district are doing what he wants. And the same is true of all of the other big companies, whether they're, you know, BlackRock and Vanguard or Google or Facebook or whoever. These <clears throat> companies have a disproportionate impact on the power that is required to get into office. So in order to make a significant change in how this country is run, you have to have basically 500 people on board with what you're doing between the House, the Senate, the executive branches and everything. You need to have 500 of the most powerful people in the country on board to make a change, which means that the status quo has a tremendous amount of momentum. It's really hard to make substantial changes. Where would you put something like a Woodstock or a cultural revolution in that? Uh, okay, so so this that changes the that changes the Overton window. It changes the shape of the society. It changes. It's a popular movement and popular movements do have some ability to change the way things are framed but you also have to understand that the enemy is putting a spin on popular movements all the time it's like what happened with woodstock what happened with um, 9 11 what happened with all of the different things the enemy has a finger in that pie too and is putting a spin on things and the other factor here is you got to remember God isn't on this chessboard. God doesn't really care that much culturally or politically what we do. He, he, he has his, um, the times when he makes judgments, but mostly he lets people go their way and do their thing. And he doesn't interfere all that much unless there's a really good reason. He mostly lets things go. Which means that when the people of the country are giving in to the enemy's sort of machinations and letting the culture drift in a given direction, the enemy kind of has a free reign over what goes on. Again, I want to call attention back to when Christ was talking to Satan and Satan offered him basically ownership of all the nations of the world. Do you really think that he didn't have that? Because if he didn't have it... Jesus would have said to him, you don't have what you're offering. You can't even, you can't even fulfill this where he could, he could fulfill what he was offering. And Christ just you assumed know, I put that. A, <clears throat> I put just a tiny bit of thought into uh, that particular passage. Yeah. Uh, it's something that's quite interesting to me. If you look at the history of uh, the, the Roman empire, as it's called, mm -hmm. it is not one empire. There's not one thing that it was the name uh, Caesar was somebody's last name that got converted to mean king. And then for a thousand years, whenever you became king, you became Caesar. <clears throat> yeah. That doesn't mean that Greece had it or Phoenicia had it. Or, That's right. You know, 
No, many, that was many numerous. The, the politics that went into that were really interesting, aren't they? They are, and you can see someone giving someone over the uh, reins of authority the the name of the leader. You know, would we instead of having kings, would we have Christ's? Oh, good grief! Yeah, yeah. No, the 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 blasphemy there kind of catches me. That's icky. That was what was offered. I know, I know. You're right. It was, but but yeah, no. It's like anyway. So the whole point here is that in order to get into power in this country you have to accept that you're going into a system with so many incentives pushing you in a direction that if even if even if you were to elect 10 good people, 20 good people, 50 good people, you couldn't make any significant headway. And especially if you're not acknowledging that the enemy has control over the system in the first place. So what we're dealing with with politics is we're dealing with a system that is so overwhelmed with incentives that anybody who gets into a position of power is incentivized to not make decisions that are bad for the enemy. They're incentivized to do things that are safe. And safe is defined by a very narrow set of parameters that involves basically us going wherever the enemy has decided that we ought to go. Now, I, we could get a little deeper into the weeds here. I think that there was sort of a, a time lag on that, that originally it worked a lot better than it does now, partly because people were more responsible in the country, like the, the okay. people actually who were actually relied on to vote were more responsible. It's like if today only small business owners were allowed to vote, a lot of our problems would go away real fast because small business owners are actually those who have employees who they care about, who, you know, who have responsibilities. They're like sort of the, the primary example of people who are responsible in our country right now. I'm not talking about CEOs of big companies. I'm talking about small business owners. They're pretty much the most responsible people right now. They're, they're our farmers. Right. Yeah, and they, they're an example of that. Farmers are an example of that. They're small business owners. And, and there's something to be said about that because you can't bow to one incentive or another. You've got a, an overall island to protect. Mm -hmm. And so... Yep. You've got to watch out for the weather and the tide and the trade and the fuel and yep. the food. That's so right. It's not like there's one thing. That's right. And and so if you were to give control to those people, which is kind of the way it was early on, it would be the system would be in a better place, at least for a while, until people who were interested in power for its own sake learned to game it, right? Because that's sort of the that's sort of the game here is you put in constraints that keep people who are interested in power for its own sake from controlling things too much, which hopefully keeps the enemy from controlling things too much. And then the enemy tries to find ways to overcome those safeguards you've put in place, and you wind up with a system that's kind of like what we have now where it's impossible to do anything anymore in that space mm -hmm. in that I think space as an American well and I'm talking about in the space of the government system right now it's impossible to accomplish anything meaningful look at how long Rand Paul has been screaming about debt and where our currency currently is and where we're headed because the US dollar is not long for this world we got a decade max and it's gone and it's because we've been it's because we've been abusing the debt thing so long and nobody can change it. it. It the incentives are all pointed in the wrong direction. So when everybody is out there voting, they think they're having an effect and what this is doing is this makes people really emotionally involved in getting the right candidate in. The next election is the end of our democracy. The Okay, yeah. No. Often yeah, no, because the system is designed so that nothing much can change except in the directions that the enemy wants it to change in. That's just well, here's how a, it is. Here's a nice uh, story to put this into perspective for people. Yeah. Dead is like dessert, and if you fill up on dessert, you've got no will to dinner. And in order for them to get you to eat, they're going to say the food's going to all stop. We have an emergency. Everybody stuff yourself. 
Right. No, that's true. That, well, up, yeah. well, and that's and what happens. That's what happens. But, but the point is still that when you look at the dialectic, the political, the political situation is another great example of this. The dialectic is we've got two sides. We've got the Democrats and the Republicans. And the Democrats are pulling things in one direction and the Republicans are, they're not really pulling, they're resisting and they're doing it poorly. And that's fine. But it's two sides to the chessboard. It's two sides for people to root for. It's two sides to the fight. And everybody takes a side except for a tiny minority. And the fight is all in the enemy's hands anyway because things are all headed in the direction they want because they control all of the incentives that get people to do what they want them to do. And you get the occasional outlier like Trump or Rand Paul who get elected. And guess what? They don't accomplish Jack because the system is against them. So right now, yeah. politics is... Politics is basically a rear guard action. We can slow things down because the, the status quo can work to our advantage as well as to our detriment because we can slow down changes by making it so that it's hard to make that change. Crises are a great time the enemy takes advantage of to make changes, but we can slow them down. But that's about all we can do. We can't actually accomplish good things politically. It isn't possible. Right. And good things will be accomplished politically once the body politic has changed. Well, and, and real quick, before we get too far from this, let me pull in a historical example so people can understand. Back during the, um, around the year 1000, actually, um, okay. we had a system that was controlled in Europe by the Catholic Church. And things got so utterly ridiculous that they were having orgies in the Pope's palace. They were the things. You mean that like cocaine not, in the White House? Oh, oh, much worse than what was go what's going on in the White House that we know about. There might be. I mean, this is more an Epstein sort of thing than it is a coke in the White House sort of thing. They had all kinds of insane perversion going on, and nobody could do anything about it. And when it comes to rules. You weren't allowed to work for approximately somewhere between a third and half of the days in a year because they were holy days. That's the, that was the rules the church handed down, and because the church was in charge, that was the case. The political system of the time was the Catholic Church. It got co-opted by the enemy to the point where it was totally in control, and then a new technology came along, and it totally broke the paradigm. And it was the printing press and gunpowder together that sort of did it. And it broke the paradigm and it changed the way power is wielded to the point where all of the, all of the status quo went away and the political system broke down and things changed. And we've got that coming up again and that's kind of the Bitcoin cue. But the point is the current system is decrepit and it's almost impossible to change anything and anything you can change, you can't really change for the better. Within a space of a decade, this is a thousand years ago, when they didn't have telecommunications, when things were moving much slower, within the space of a decade, all of those church decrees were still on the books, but nobody was paying attention anymore. And that's just because the shape of the game changed so much that it didn't matter. So what do you believe was the big deal for 1971? What was the big uh, change to the incentive? We officially went off the gold standard and that allowed the government to start printing money. And the way the incentives work for on a government level for printing money is they're incentivized to basically fix every problem by printing enough money to fix the problem without printing so much that people lose confidence in the currency. And all of this happened with the U.S. dollar being based on gold for 200 years before that, because it was essentially a gold standard. You could trade $20 U.S. dollars for a $20 gold piece, theoretically up until 1970, but 
realistically up until a little earlier than that, like the around World War One was when it really started to get squishy. But the idea is, um, we had society and social norms have a momentum all their own, right? And so for, for a lot of years, we had momentum that kept people with the same mentality of saving, with the same mentality of treating the dollar as this, you know, inviolable gold-linked thing. And then 1970 rolls around, and we officially go off the gold standard, and all of a sudden, we have to work out a new, a new kind of deal, and things change drastically then. And so from that point forward, we started losing price signals too, because money is actually a language that communicates to people how much things are worth. And when you start messing with the language and changing the price signals, things go really, really haywire eventually. And so in 1971, all the incentives changed and and that was the beginning of the end for the dollar fair enough <clears throat> back to politics yeah in the current day what would your advice be i suppose your perspective be on the world is ending narrative Okay. What would I say? What would I say? I would say. I would say. We were given one instruction by the King of Kings, by the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave us one single instruction make disciples of the nations. I see this Christian nationalism thing popping up on Twitter where we want people want to take Christian ideals and put them into government. And that's fine. I don't have a specific problem with it exactly. But it isn't going to work. Because here's the way it actually works. When you make disciples of the nations, it changes people's hearts. And so it goes like this. Politics is downstream of culture. Culture is downstream of faith. When you change people's faith, when you change their ideology, when you change their hearts, then the culture follows that. And when the culture follows that, then the politics follow that. So basically what I would say is this Christian nationalism thing isn't, gonna, isn't really going to accomplish anything because it doesn't have the culture and the faith behind it. It's <clears throat> sort of the last gasp of a dying ideology that is Christianity in the West that doesn't have control of the culture anymore. So what we need to do, what my advice would be is to make disciples, to draw people to Christ, to share your testimony with people, to draw them to Christ, which then makes a real change locally to you, which then spreads out into the world. You know, Jordan Peterson has this thing he likes to say where speaking the truth in the world is more powerful than you can imagine. And if you look at what he has accomplished, how many people he has woken up, how many people he, people's lives he has changed by his refusal to speak a lie when he was instructed to, his refusal to follow the incentives and, and actual... It's an interesting commentary yeah. as well as... Uh methods of fishing and, and methods of getting your message across yeah um through example yeah right just well and he, he had and... the example he really did and so what i would say is follow that kind of example fish for people draw people to christ people are hurting people are in trouble people need him draw people to christ and then everything else follows and you know what if if the if there's this end of the world sort of ideology going around, I don't care. I don't freaking care. We were given an instruction by our Lord, and that's what matters. We follow that instruction. We do the best we can with that. We we follow his lead in that, and good things will come out of it. And 
you know, if the end of the age comes, the end of the age comes. Or if we have another thousand years and it's like what happened with the gunpowder revolution and the printing press, and we have another thousand years of the church being in the world and doing what it's doing, that's fine too. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. What matters is, are the people's hearts for Christ? And if they are, then good things will come out of it. And if they're not, then, you know, everything else is kind of under the enemy's sway when the people aren't for Christ. That's just how it winds up. That's certainly one of my biggest fears <clears throat> with a, uh, how theocratic politician you're turning over the nomenclature of your faith to another man. Mm. Yeah, you are. And, you know, it's it's like I say, the when the Catholic Church was the the governing body, the enemy found a way to corrupt it. When you put temporal power into play, the enemy will do everything he can to try to infiltrate that and bring it into his court. And until Christ returns to rule the nations with an iron rod, I think that's just going to be the cycle. We're going to see people are going to try to renew things and the enemy are going to get their tendrils in things and we just see it over and over again. And it's, that's just what matters, though, is and, and this is I guess this would be my message to anyone who believes who's a believer. Get your eyes on the long run, get your eyes on what matters, because you've got thousands of years to live on this earth or the next earth when God makes a new heaven and a new earth, whatever it is, you've got eternal life. That means that your perspective ought to be closer to God's perspective. What does God care about? God doesn't care that much about the temporal power situation here. He's, he just doesn't care that much. What he cares about is our hearts and where our hearts are at. And if we can have an impact on that for other people, that's going to matter. And, you know, if he's called you into politics, then he has a reason for that. He's got something important for you to fight in that rear guard action. But it is a rear guard action. You're not going to change anything for the better. You're just going to keep things from getting worse. Define that. What does rear guard action mean to you? It is you're fighting... You're moving in a different direction. You're moving away from that battle towards something else, and you're fighting only as you need to to allow the body of soldiers that is fighting under you to move away. So you're not letting the enemy just roll up on your rear and crunch you under. Instead, what you're doing is you're fighting in the back and you're advancing in a different direction. Fair enough, just for anyone listening that may not get it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a I'm an avid fantasy history reader, so that makes perfect sense to me. But so, yeah, no, and and actually, we ought to wrap up here soon. But before we do that, is there anything that in there that you think that ought to be expanded on? Is there anything that was missed? Is there anything that was not clear? Because this particular picture is one that is really hard for people. They don't, they don't naturally see it all that well, and it's really critical for people to understand. We need to be doing what matters, mm -hmm. and what matters is what the, that one instruction we've already been given. I would just say take it with that, take it to uh, those people that you speak to, yeah. whether it's your uncle at the dinner room table or yeah. a stranger at the subway. You know, you're not talking to them about politics. One heart at a time. A, a, a lot of years ago, a guy I really liked, Don Francisco, wrote a song called One Heart at a Time. And it sort of embodies this, this notion. Each of us is empowered by Christ to accomplish the things that we are supposed to accomplish. And what we're doing matters, man. It matters. We have to do that. Because the job we've been given is one that he he will allow us to fail and that failure will have implications and it's only by following him and, and leaning on him that we can succeed. So, so go forth and, and do what God has told us to do and be strong in that folks, because it matters. Indeed. Indeed. And with that, I think we'll see you next time. See you next time guys.